electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Rally on as stocks hit more new highs today. One firm now says they're going even much higher from here. Our investment committee debating your money's next move. And joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go take a look at stocks. They've been up for five straight weeks. We also have that big new target for the S&P. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Look at the NASDAQ. It's going for 11 in a row. And then there's the yield on the 10-year below 150 at 148 is where that currently sits. We're going to get to all of that. I do, though, first want to get to Joe Terranova, a big move in his portfolio. Joe, you have sold almost all of your Netflix, and I want you to tell our viewers why. Yeah, and I don't want to uh, I don't want to confuse the viewers here, Scott. So I will sell the balance of what I have left in Netflix on the close today. Uh, but the fundamental reasoning behind getting into Netflix, everyone is well aware of that. Uh, I know Shannon's done a great job of talking about that. When I got into this trade, which is prior to Labor Day, it was specifically reasoned based on a very aggressive and strengthening signal measuring momentum. At the time, I got in at 577. I thought the upside potential was a six and a quarter to 650. It reached that. What began to happen was on Friday, October 29th, Netflix recorded a high at 691. Thereafter, the momentum signal began to dramatically weaken, and you had five consecutive days where you had a price failure to exceed that October 29th high. That should not happen when positive momentum is building further. So that motivated me to get out of the stock Thursday afternoon at 670. That's exactly what I've done. Netflix always was a great company, always will be a great company, but this is a momentum-based trade. And that's exactly why I got out of it, and I'll get out of the balance on the close today. Okay, so is it more than just a Netflix-type statement? Should we be thinking about other stocks like Netflix that have ridden a wave of momentum, and now you see some signs that that may be about to stop? Yes, that's a great question. And in the observation that I have with momentum, there are a variety of different names that you could study where you're beginning to see momentum wane. However, I want to emphasize this. That does not extrapolate in overall bias towards the equities market itself, because what you're seeing is more of a rotation. So where you're beginning to see that is a lot of the cyclically oriented businesses, and certainly Friday's news surrounding the Pfizer pill helped that. Uh, Scott Gottlieb's comments moving this to an endemic Healthcare crisis helped it as well, but that's the rotation that you're beginning to see where momentum is waning in certain places where it has been over the last three to six months. 
and it's building now in other places. All right, we're going to get to more of the market picture in just a minute. I do want sure. to get to Steve Weiss because he has a new buy. So we talk about Joe, who says at the end of the day today, Netflix is no more in, in his portfolio. You bought Ford. Weiss. Now, you've been talking a lot on the show about Volkswagen and Porsche, and we've had back and forth with Jim, you know, in the past about General Motors. But Ford is at the highest level since 01. So why are you why are you putting a new position on in letter F? Well, I bought it last week because Ford owns 12 percent of Rivian and the Rivian IPO is going to be hot, hot, hot. They filed to raise their price increase, their price range. Uh, so with Ford owning 12 percent, that's going to equate to essentially a gain of almost 10 percent of the uh, Mark Captain stock. I think part of that's reflected. But uh, but I think you'll continue to see it move up as Rivian trades up higher off the close. Rivian's a pretty special company because it's got some great backers, not the least of which is is Amazon, which has already put a nice order in there. and I believe we'll order more. So it's to play the Rivian trade. Uh, as much as anything else. Right now, it's a trade. I still like Volkswagen, of course, despite the Jeffries downgrade today. Um, to me, that's going to be a major winner in the EV space. When you say, oh, it's just a trade, what are we talking? I mean, this could be 10 minutes or 10 weeks. I mean, what, what does that mean for people? Yeah, I, a, a trade is going to be, uh, you know, when Rivian prices, I think it trades to a premium. And I think that goes into Ford as well. So we'll see, you know, when the momentum in Rivian stops uh, is when I uh, when I may get out of Ford trade. But in all likelihood before that, when when it's really frothy and the IPO trades up, you know, on the day, as we've seen with other IPOs, that may be my exit point. OK, so last week we talked about some of the pain that you took in your your portfolio, Skyworks, Corvo, um, et, et cetera. And now you've seen those stocks come down a, a fair amount. You've bought more on those dips in both? Yeah, correct. So, so Corvo and Skyworks have been very clear over the last months that I vastly reduced those positions in expectation that the quarters would miss because of the supply chain issues. And in fact, that's what did happen. So I have now put those back into the core position holdings in my portfolio because, look, both acquitted themselves exceptionally well during the quarter. Skyworks actually beat, but yet the stock took a lot of pain. So I took that opportunity to uh, to go back to core positions in both. And seasonally, you want to own these stocks in January, but typically they don't have this kind of fall off. So they're just incredibly cheap. You're talking about stocks selling at about 12 times next year's earnings that are still going to grow revenues at 15 percent or so and earnings substantially more than that. So. You know, so I, I love these positions right now, and I'm glad I got the gift being able to add lower. Okay. The other position that you've added to, which is now, as you tell our producers, a, quote, very big position now, is another stock that's been in pain lately, and that's FedEx. Yeah, so FedEx I kept adding lower and lower. And when the stock bounced off about the 219, as you recall, when I was on the show, then I added then. I've added as the momentum's picked up. And people are now realizing that it's historically cheap. UPS put up a good number. FedEx, I thought, put up an okay number. The cost got ahead of them a little bit in terms of labor. Very, very tough there. But I love the freight segment. It doesn't matter if people are going back to stores versus people being at home. They still need to have goods delivered to those stores just as at your home. They've announced price increases, capacities remaining tight. I've also added to XBO and that decline there. 
Uh, GXO didn't decline at a good quarter. So my positioning in freight is very big. Now, FedEx is the only one where I still have a slightly losing position in it, but I'm highly confident that that's going to take care of itself because most of my position is still before the major decline in the stock. But I've added meaningfully, and I'd say it's just about doubled since you know I initially uh, – I uh, have that core position and collapse. Okay. So, uh, Liz, I'm going to get you in a minute uh, because I want to, I do want to introduce this new price target that, that one firm has put on the market. But I want to get to John Najarian first because he has a number of new moves to go through as well. Um, most taking some profits, I, I would say, Doc. You sold Boeing calls. Um, that stock's been languishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you sold CrowdStrike calls, you took the profits. You sold McDonald's calls, you took the profits. And you were wrong on a couple of other things. Arc Genomics, you got out. Can you take me through those a little bit, please? Sure. Um, Arc Genomics, uh, you know, it's one of those where at like 75, 76, Scott, we saw put buying in there. I hate to bet against Kathy Woods, but with a controlled risk to the downside like that, it worked out for about maybe a week. And since it has turned around and now it's 79, um, so uh, it went from 71 to 79 on that way back up. I just said, I'm wrong. Let me just get out of this thing. Uh, Same thing with Penn Gaming, which you and I spoke of last week, Scott, as well as DraftKings, had to cut both those losses. Um, Then, you know, there were some that I was lucky in. Tilray, um, Volta, VLTA, uh, AER, that aircraft leasing uh, play that, uh, you know, just hit a new uh, 52-week high today. And a, a lot of these, I was just being disciplined. And I try to stay in the same time frame that the smart money was in when they were buying these calls, because that was one of my primary catalysts. Whether it was calls or puts, it was they were buying these, so I'm going to be in that time frame. Now, a lot of these time frames have expired, um, meaning that they're not past November 5th. They're not into November, January, February. So I took profits and said, I'll wait until smart money comes back in. McDonald's, you got to think that people are a little, not so much concerned, Scott, but they have to be wondering how much does McDonald's have to eat, uh, and the pun is intended, of the increased cost of labor as well as food, uh, rather than passing it on to the consumer to hold market share. Um, and that remains to be seen. Boeing, I think that's a longer term play, even though we got that very lucrative corridor opened up between London and New York. It just opened up, number one. And number two, um, nobody's ordering a Boeing plane right now for that corridor opening up. This is some news that has been known for weeks, if not months, that we were going to open officially today that corridor to European, Canadian and uh, Mexican travel. And uh, the fact that uh, you could have bought American, JetBlue, uh, uh, you know, Delta, uh, United, those times have come and gone. I don't think now is the time to chase any of those. Stars. Oh, OK. Well, we'll get to that in, in, in a minute, Doc. I, I do want to highlight the, the market itself and, and get to Liz Young because we have been up for five straight weeks. OK. And uh, we're waning just a little bit in where we open to where we look now. The S&P, as I last saw, dipped negative. Uh, a touch there. It's basically on the flat line. The uh, the Dow right there is hanging on by 47. There's the Nasdaq, which has had this incredible run, 10 days up in a row, going for 11 today. Small caps, we know about those too. I mean, they, they've been at record levels, and the Russell 2000 is up by more than 13. So Liz Young, I've got this new price target now from Piper Sandler 
They say stocks are firing on all cylinders. They start to look into next year, and they put their first price target on for next year for the S&P. They go 5150. It's about 9.5% to the upside from now. Just give us your view of where you think we are now, um, because there was a time not that long ago you were a little cautious, and I think you came around and said, well, maybe the environment's actually changing and going to lead us into next year pretty, pretty strongly. What do, you, what do you say? Well, so first of all, even 9.5% up from here, let's say we get another 2% this year, that's 7.5% next year, that's a pretty normal environment for stocks, which would be semi-disappointing compared to what we've seen double digits up over the last couple of years. So I think investors would look at that as a tiny disappointment. But I do think that there's a tailwind into year end. And you're right, I did come around. I also think if you just listen to everything that the other traders have said already at the top of the show, obviously there's a rotation going on. I don't think there's anything more indicative of a rotation than what we heard about all of these moves that were made. Maybe some of us think the rotation is in different places, but there's definitely something going on under the surface. There's a lot of repositioning happening. Also, I think investors need to keep in mind there's been a momentum shift, and I think Joe would agree with me here. Don't fight momentum in the short term. There's been a momentum shift from about August, September until now. So we in August, September, momentum in growth had slowed down. Economic momentum had slowed down. Now we're heading into the end of the year. We had a Fed statement that didn't freak all of us out. We have a tenure that didn't go off the charts. And we've got this Santa Claus rally, this seasonal period that should be strong for consumers. And we should make it through the end of the year with fewer bumps than I think all of us expected maybe halfway through the year. I'm guessing, Joe, that your counter to that would be, look, I'd rather be early than late. That, you know, I'm stepping out of the way, even if I think momentum can continue. Remember, we're in the period of the year where the next three months are traditionally the best. So you've got seasonals are on your Mm -hmm. your side, too, to continue momentum. Um, You're willing to miss out rather than wait too long? Yeah, I think that's fair, but I, but I agree with Liz's points that I think there is a dramatic shift currently unfolding in the market. Um, you know, you mentioned before the Russell making an all-time high. Well, it just did that in the last several days after, for the better part of the last six months, going sideways. So we're seeing this dramatic change, Scott, where finally there appears to be this broadening out of the potential for there to be a revival in economic growth after a period where we slow down. And I think what's important, too, is that the earnings season really began on October 13th. You've got the S&P up about 7.5% since then. And, and I think that's the story underneath the market, is that the expectation was, because of the pressures for rising input costs and wage pressures, you'd see margin compression. There were estimates for 100 basis points of contraction for profit margins. Well, profit margins have actually expanded by another 75 basis points to an all-time record high. So I think this is really about a broadening out. And a lot of the places where potentially you could say I was hiding in a lot of the growth stories, I just see those as maybe becoming somewhat exhausted. And it's time to think about unlocking some alpha in some areas of the market that hadn't been performing for the last three to six months. All right. I mean, back to the target of 5150 for next year, Liz. Yes, granted, you know, if you get a little bit of a run between now and the end of the year and, okay, you reduce the expected nine and a half percent upside down to seven, I think some people would say, hey, I'll take that in an environment next year where you could have multiple rate hikes, right? I mean, that, that's the difference in yeah. the environment between now and in the last year or so, 
we've obviously done great in the S&P 500 because of all the stimulus, all the liquidity. You take that away, you start raising rates, and you can still put 7 to 7.5% 7 on the board. I think people would say, I'll take that. Well, I mean, even in the worst case scenario that the market was pricing in, let's say we had three rate hikes next year, that's still a pretty low rate. And we're coming off zero for the first time in a really, really long time. I also think the market is a little ahead of itself. I don't think we're going to start seeing aggressive rate hikes in June or July. I think it gets pushed out a little bit further. But I also want to go back to another momentum shift that's happening, and that's just a shift in sentiment. And the idea of if you look at everything that's led the market, if you look at the first year of this recovery, right, or the rebound phase, we had really concentrated strength in the market which was great if you held those concentrated parts of the market. But now we've had this broadening out, which as an investor makes us all feel a little bit safer because you can have a diversified portfolio and there's multiple points in it that are going to help your returns. Whereas when you have really concentrated parts of the market, like FANG stocks being the only big leaders, you get worried that what happens if those fall apart? Now there's a lot of stuff that would have to fall apart to really send us in the other direction. That's why, you know, Doc, I go back to what Liz is sort of leading me into is the Tom Lee everything rally, right? That you've had a broadening out. And as he was with us on this past Friday and he's been right, um, he thinks you get a lot of different sectors moving up um, over the next, you know, whatever moment of time you're looking at few months, minimum energy home. These are his recommended strategies, Uh, energy, the home builders, the small caps, his so-called epicenter names, those being things like financials and industrials, uh, crypto, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So this broadening out of a rally has put a nice pillar of strength underneath the market. Absolutely, Scott. And it it means that uh, the fangs don't have to carry the load. Uh, And you've talked about it and we have as well about the passing that torch from sector to sector. And it's why we have seen pretty significant corrections in a given sector, only to see then uh, another leadership uh, position like energy, like financials, um, step in. And right now there are several new ones. We'll talk about it in the next block, but there are several new ones that are just on fire right now. And it's where really the smart money is being put on the table in a big way by institutions. Yeah, by big institutions, big block buying of calls as well as stock in some of these other new sectors that haven't been noticed uh, quite as much until now. This whole notion of you know, momentum shifting and these cyclical areas of the market as you get even further into the reopen. You did have more positive COVID news today regarding the Regeneron antibody treatment. I'm looking at a note that dropped four minutes ago um, from a guy we cite all the time on this show, and it's J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, Steve Weiss, who says, yeah, okay, uh, equities have started to price in the fact that you've had a nice rebound in cyclicals. However, he says, uh, we believe the recovery of cyclicals and value has much further to go. So is that the way that we need to be thinking about this? Maybe take a look at lightening up on some of the quote unquote momentum style plays, uh, more growthy names and look at the cyclicals now as a place to really drive gains in your portfolio? Well, I I don't think it's a bad strategy. However, I think it's prudent to have uh, more dispersion in terms of what you're you know, what you're modeling in your portfolio. And by that, I mean, if you if you Pure momentum stocks, I mean, those are on a case-by-case basis. 
and you wake up one morning and momentum dies. Joe spoke about Netflix, which hasn't died, it's done quite well. So to play momentum for the sake of that, that's, that's out and that's not what you're talking about. The answer is, as new money comes to the market, it looks for areas that are the cheapest. And the cheapest on a P.E. basis, on a price-to-revenues basis, happen to be in a lot of the sickles and industrial names. And additionally, you have the passage of the bill last night. It's going to take a while, or Saturday, it's going to take a while for that money to come into the market and actually drive revenues of these companies. But that's okay. So the long answer is, yes, I believe that you need some pretty good exposure in those areas. But I wouldn't give up the solid companies where the momentum of the fundamentals match momentum in the share price. I think you want to be there as well. Liz Young, what about these recommended strategies from, from Tom Lee? Uh, energy has been his number one name. And he's staying with it, along with the builders, as I said, small caps been at record highs, then his so-called epicenter stocks. Are those the ones you like? Well, small caps on that list. So I think we all know the answer to that. I love a small cap rally. And yes, I like the small cap call. I also like the cyclicals call. The only part of that list that I would be a little bit less excited about is maybe the home builders. I think that a lot of that strength has already been seen. There's probably a backlog that we will get through once supply chain stuff relaxes a bit and they'll see a nice boost. Uh, But that's really the only part of that list that I would be a little more cautious on. John, you highlighted something really interesting um, a few moments ago when you talked about you know, taking a look at the, the reopen and now you have the return of international travel obviously today. Stocks that have already run a good deal into this kind of news, which is not like nobody knew um, it was coming. You say it's too late to buy some of these names, which I think is interesting because, Joe, you bought the Jets ETF on Friday. Weiss, you bought the Jets ETF as well and United Airlines. So, Joe, tell me that strategy versus John saying, look, I look at things and I think it's a little late. I think John should talk to Pete more because I heard Pete on the show on Friday give Jets as his final trade. Um, I, I, clearly, I clearly see a, a reopening in terms of, of traffic. And, and let me explain for a second what I mean. I, I see foot traffic for retail, and that's one of the reasons why TJX or Best Buy are doing incredibly well in a lot of the department stores. But I also think you're going to now have, which has really been – the one last industry that we've all been waiting for the revival, and that is the international travel and the return of corporate travel. And the best way to get exposure to that, I believe, is is having the approach uh, that is not tactical in trying to identify a winner in the airline sector. I think the entire airline sector is going to benefit. And I like that right now the industry is incentivizing uh, new workers to come on board. That's going to obviously benefit Uh, the service that's being offered, the client. But I think this is the last industry that we've all been waiting for. And I think the moment is here and kind of consistent with a lot of what Marco Kalanovic is saying. There's a lot further upside to go as it relates to a recovery in airline. The Jets ETF just really gives you that broad, diversified exposure. And I like it. That's why I bought it. This is a place you were in before, Doc. I mean, um, what's your counter to that, Mm -hmm. right? This is a too late to get in versus more room to go. And by the way, not an airline name, but Marriott today was reiterated by Wells Fargo as their top signature pick. So clearly there's a lot of good feelings about a lot of these stocks. Absolutely there is. And, uh, you know, the, the mandates for vaccinations of the pilots and so forth, and whether or not these work slowdowns at American or Southwest or uh, at United are going to continue to affect the airlines. 
I don't think as much, Scott, because I think that pill is such a big deal. Um, the Pfizer pill, and as you mentioned, there are others uh, that are just right there with them to be approved. But I'd say, you know, since we knew this corridor was opening up, and we're talking specifically about New York, London, um, the most profitable corridor, since that happened, um, I've got United up 11%, American up 14%, JetBlue up 8.3%. I like taking profits on those kind of moves, Scott. I don't like betting on further upside from there. I think they might trade sideways for a while. So if you're in those, Joe, I think you want to be piling out some calls against those uh, against your jets, which is that broad market airline ETF, or against these stocks, because it might be a while before you see those kind of moves again out of those uh, individual stocks or out of the Jets uh, ETF. Joe? Yeah, I, 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 di I disagree, John. I'm, I'm sorry. I look at, at United, and I think the stock is trading <laughs> at, at 53. I look at everything in terms of a recovery going pre-pandemic. Where, where was United Airlines before the pandemic? It was, it was a $90 stock. So there's, there's still plenty of upside potential. And again, I'm specifically citing the airline industry. This was the last industry, John, that we were waiting for that recovery to unfold. And I think it's here. And I think it's the Pfizer pill and, and the hope that we've had therapeutics. And it's the opening of international travel. And it's the return of what's the most critical component for revenue contribution for the airline sector, and that's the corporate client. And John, you and I both know that corporate client is not right now traveling. I think 2022 is going to be a year in which they will be. Steve, so Steve, I, I disagree. I think there's a lot more upside. Why don't you get in there, Weiss, and make this the last word on this segment before we take a break? Yeah. You, as I said, you bought the Jets ETF as well. And as Joe is talking about United, you bought that too. I did. So, first of all, I don't think, I'll, I'll disagree with Joe slightly, I don't think United should get back to 90 because the balance sheet's in a lot different shape than it was. However, you know, we're planning trips, and as we look at buying tickets, prices are out of sight. I was in Chicago. The airlines, the airline terminals are full. The airplanes are full. So, look, they're going to be able, the airlines are going to be able to price at levels you've never seen before as that garden hose, you know, stays and expands to a fire hose and people still can't get through it. So you've got a perfect supply demand situation for the airlines. So that's why I bought it. So it's true that they've reflected some of that. But I will tell you, those moves are not much greater than a lot of other names. And I would guess that some names in John's portfolio he has have done a lot better. They still sticking with so they're, they're cheap, and when you see the bookings come through, that will give you the next leg up. I was That's gonna, why I bought it. Okay, I was going to give you the last word, Weiss, but I'm going to give it to you, Doc. And you got only 30 seconds, so make it count. <laughs> okay, um, I think business travel is going to take significantly longer to recover. I'm rooting for it, Joe and Stephen, but I just think that business travel and the businesses that I speak with are not putting folks into those business class seats at near the pace that's necessary. Instead, people that fly a lot like me and like you guys are going to get those free upgrades basically because those seats are empty. They're not being sold in the same numbers, those business class seats, whether it's domestic or international. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about a new street high price target on Tesla. We have many stock moves as well in the EV space today on this desk. We'll talk about it next. We're back in just two minutes. 
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The NCAA is rewriting its constitution to delegate more power to individual divisions. Today, it released a new draft of the changes, which will let divisions reshape how revenues are shared and how rules are made and enforced. A man shot by Kyle Rittenhouse telling jurors that he thought he was going to die. Gage Grosskreutz taking the stand as the Rittenhouse murder trial now enters its second week. He is one of three people shot by Rittenhouse and the only one to survive. And after a year and a half, foreign nationals from 33 countries can once again come to the U.S. The pandemic travel ban ending for much of Europe, but also China and India. And on the news tonight, another step closer to a new normal. A look at cities and companies putting up welcome banners. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And of course, Scott, that news helping lots of industries and stocks today. Absolutely. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Speaking of, Jeffries has upgraded Tesla with a price target that is now the highest on the street, $1,400 a share. We've made it our call of the day. Dr. J, you own Tesla calls, not to mention the extraordinary moves that you've made today in a number of EV-related stocks. But tell me about Tesla first, and then I'll ask you about these others. Sure. Um, Scott, uh, you and I talked last week. And uh, I think it might have been Tuesday and Friday uh, that we just talked about that rolling up when somebody takes a profit, sells that level, and then buys a higher strike price. 800, 850, 900, 950, 1,000, 1,100, all of those surpassed as Tesla surged to that new all-time high. Um, And each of those, by the way, along the way, a lot of new highs were hit. Um, So I kept taking profits in Tesla. It is now my second largest position. Microsoft is my largest position. Apple fell to number three. Um, And that's because of the market cap gains of uh, Microsoft and Tesla, not because I was cutting positions in Apple. Um, But as far as other stocks in that, you know, the bill that got passed, Scott, oh, my gosh, EVs, 
just on fire, whether it's Lucid, which I already owned, or Neo, which I already owned as well. And they're in that Tesla comp competition, if you will. Um, but then um, Volta, VLTA, this is smart media charging stations. It was up 48% since the beginning of November. Took profits on that one and exited. But two others that I added to that I'd been in before, but then started accumulating bigger positions, ChargePoint, CHPT, and um, Blink Charging, BLNK. Both of those, uh, and they're up now 22%. Just, just basically since last Thursday, or maybe it was Wednesday last week, Scott, the flow of money into those names and QuantumScape, QS. This is a lithium player. I've talked about the smaller one that I'm on the uh, advisory board of, which is uh, American Battery Tech, ABML. But QuantumScape, boy, a 16% move today, Scott. And I think there's a lot more gas in the tank there, or since it's an EV, I guess, <laughs> um, a lot more lithium. Yeah. Uh, and this one, Scott, big upside call buying um, in QS. I would have used it for unusual, but because we're talking about EVs here, I had to use it here. And this one just on fire. Hey, there's another one I notice um, that's up big today. And uh, forgive me, I don't think you mentioned it. And I just want to make sure we get to all of them. EV Go, is that it? EVgo? Yeah. It's a three EVgo billion as well. Three yep. billion dollar market cap. That stock's up seventeen and a third right now. Yep. Added to that one today as well when I was talking to Patty, uh, the producer for the show today. And my gosh, uh, this sector will benefit in such a huge way. And again, not to throw it at Joe and Steve, but that bill that passed last week is forcing money into these sectors. It's not forcing it into uh, airlines. Airlines are up because the sector opened up, but these are getting direct input from the, the latest stimulus, and there may be more depending on how the second uh, infrastructure bill, that, uh, the $1.75 trillion that still is out there to be passed at some point in the future, perhaps. You know, Weiss, you just play it through Porsche and Volkswagen, right? Well, actually, uh, Volkswagen well, invested three hundred million. Well, I did, but Volkswagen invested three hundred million in QS and is one of the largest shareholders and has a partnership. So I'm playing it through there also. Look, I, I agree with what John's saying. Money's going into this, but it's also reflected a lot of the upside because none of these companies really have any earnings and won't for a while. So it's not as if they're unknown secrets. I'd wait for them to pull back before adding to them, though. That always happens. You get another opportunity. All right. We will take a quick break. Come back right after this. With more trades. We have John's unusual activities. We have the big unusual activity. Uh, we have the big ETFs to watch as well. Check out the S&P sectors as we head to break today. Led by Tom Lee's favorite sector, energy. There it is. Another record setter for the markets. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. If Bitcoin is digital gold, why isn't gold like a physical Bitcoin? Let's talk gold with two of the world's great gold authorities. George Milling Stanley is the chief gold strategist at State Street Global Advisors. He oversees the Spider Gold Shares, the GLD. That's the world's largest gold ETF. Will Rind is the founder and CEO of Granite Shares, which oversees the Granite Shares gold shares. George, it's often said gold is a hedge against inflation. But if that's the case, why isn't gold higher this year? We're, we're now seeing notable inflation, but gold is down this year, and it's about where it was 10 years ago. I think it's kind of important to define what we mean by a hedge against inflation. Gold is a very good preserver of purchasing power during periods of sustained high inflation, by which I mean many months with inflation at over 5% a year. And those kind of periods, which we last saw sustained in the 1970s, then gold gave annual capital appreciation equivalent to about 16% a year, or a real return of around 11%. Where we are right now, we've had inflation around 5% for maybe three or four months, with everybody telling us it's transitory, it's going to pass. So I'm not at all surprised that gold hasn't responded to these inflation numbers just yet. So uh, give gold a chance to outperform, I guess, is what you're saying there, George. Will, it's commonly said Bitcoin is digital gold, but is that really or is that just a, a phrase that people use? Is it really a threat to gold? And is there any evidence that Bitcoin is actually siphoning investment dollars away from gold? Well, I think there's certainly some evidence that it's siphoning um, dollars because just like any you know, kind of asset, it attracts capital the same way that gold attracts capital. Okay. But I don't think um, at the moment we can really say that Bitcoin is any kind of inflation hedge because we just don't have the data to support that. So I think, you know, gold, one thing it's got going for it is thousands of years of history um, and preserving capital on that basis. Um, Bitcoin, we'll have to really see. What we can say for sure is that there's a lot of volatility and a lot of excitement in the sector. But whether it's an inflation hedge, probably too early to say. All right. Thanks very much, guys. And we'll have much more on gold with George and with Will on ETF Edge, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And also find out about some potential new products that are out there, gold-related products as well. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime back right after this. Uh, there you go. EVgo, uh, one of the stocks in the EV space that John Adjurian mentioned about five minutes ago. Uh, was already up like 11% or so, is now up almost 25. So, Doc, I was going to send it to you on Unusual. Um, given the fact that you have calls in a name that's jumping 25%, what does that mean in terms of your time frame and how long you'd be in there if people are feeling you know, exceedingly bullish looking at this chart react to the way you talked about it? I don't want them to get in as you're getting out. So what, what's the story? No, and I don't intend on getting out of this one or – Blink or ChargePoint, uh, Scott, those are all the charging for these EV vehicles. And that network needs to get built out like crazy to hit the president's goal of, I think it was 500,000 charging stations across the U.S. That's EVgo, that's ChargePoint, that's Volterra. Um, all of these are going to get benefit from that long beyond a one-day pop. These have been moving up since basically... Uh, the middle of last week dramatically. And I think that continues. So all I'm doing, Scott, is rolling up to higher strikes as this happens. The only one I sold was Volta, which was up 50 percent, 48 or 50 percent since last Thursday. So that one, I just had to take the profits and run. 
but these others I'm just rolling up. In other words, taking profits at a strike, like we talked about with Tesla, and buying a higher strike, not exiting those stocks. I got you. I love the clarity. Um, I think, you know, as much information as we can give, the, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Unusual. That's Let's do fair. that now. All right. Uh, the trade desk, TTD. Um, this one, uh, very strong upside call buying in here, Scott. Um, the, the stock was 85 and change, and they were buying the this week expiration 90 calls, 11,000 of those. That's 1.1 million share equivalent. I jumped in. That's a new position. Second one, Infosys, January 23 calls in Infosys. This is, of course, outsourcing and consulting out of India. Um, that's an at-the-money call. They bought a lot of those. I joined that one as well. Um, and I already talked about QuantumScape, so I'll let that one sit. All right, good stuff. Let's talk PayPal for a second. Shares are down Thank more you. than 10% in a month. Up today, though, ahead of earnings after the bell. We're going to give you the trade on that. We'll do it next. All right, I said we have one viewer question for the investment committee, so everybody's going to answer. It come, comes from Daniel in Sacramento, California. I'm already long on quality tech, and he lists Microsoft and Adobe, Apple and Google and Facebook, and want to get into semis. So would you recommend buying individual companies, NXPI, NVIDIA, AMD, for example, or buy a mutual fund or ETF like the FSELX or similar? Liz Young, you get the first crack at this. What do you think? Well, I can't give individual security names, so I'll let the guys do that. But really, the question is, would you be in semis? And the answer to that is yes. I'm looking at a cyclical trend in semis. If you look at semis having broken out versus software, that's a cyclical signal. So even if you're a little bit worried about tech and rising rates, I think semis are a good place to be over the next 6 to 12 months. Weiss, Daniel wishes he was in AMD before today because the stock right now, new all-time high, it's up 11.5%. But what about that? So individual names, a fund, what do you think is the best strategy? Well, if you can do the work, individual names to me is always better. But for the average, say, retail investor, the SMH will do quite well. Look, you're at that inflection point where the supply chain is getting better and you'll see the growth return to semis. I added to my NVIDIA calls and I think they're going to report just a blowout quarter when they report in the 17th. So I mentioned Skyworks and Corvo before, extremely cheap. So I don't think you can go wrong owning individual stocks again, but you have to be able to do the work. So, Joe, you know, you're up 80 percent in AMD. I see you're up 44 percent in NVIDIA. Top of the show, you talked about maybe a change in momentum. And I'm not sure if you would lump these in with that sort of view that you have. But in light of that, how do you answer the question? I checked it during the show, both NVIDIA and AMD. Uh, the proprietary model that I run for momentum, the spy signal is as strong as it's ever been. So, no, momentum is not waning. To Stephen's point, the SMH up 9% in November, up 17% quarter to date. To Liz's earlier comments and John's about the economy, the economy is beginning to reaccelerate higher, both domestically and globally. And we know what semiconductors are in terms of their relevancy in the growth of the overall economy probably, without question, the most singular, most uh, relative and positive industry for that growth. All right, we go lastly to you, Doc. Um, I'm in the SMH, I'm in NVIDIA, and I'm in AMD. And those would be the ways that I would play it, Scott. 
Um, I think that uh, NVIDIA, you get a two-pronged approach here. One, you get crypto because they're some of the most popular chips for miners. And two, you get uh, all of the gra graphics processing units, the GPUs that people need to enjoy the metaverse and all the rest. So I love all three of those. And if you need that broad market exposure, SMH is the one I'd pick. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. All right, Weiss, new week. I don't know what the, uh, what the story with Moderna is going to be from here on out, but the Regeneron news today. Now what with, uh, with your stock of choice? Right. So, so the stock, um, I want to point out that it was flat over the weekend. Uh, so it consolidated Saturday and Sunday <laughs> with the mark close. That was good. But, but seriously, look, the stock sold <laughs> off on the Pfizer news. It sold off a little bit on the, on the Merck news. Those are therapeutics. They're not going to impact the uptake on the vaccine if people want to be vaccinated or the boosters. The airline news today, you've got to be vaccinated to come to the U.S. That'll drive vaccine uptake. So, look, it overreacted last week. It had overreacted when it got to 490. I think it looks great. You'll get flu data coming out any time. That's going to be very, very positive. And you're going to see if the pandemic ends, which it is, when you get pricing after the pandemic, okay. the price of the vaccine can go up tenfold. So all very positive for Moderna. Just give me a name for a final trade because i got to bounce. Dix. All right, Liz. Financials. Doc. Skills, SKLZ, bought upside calls now. Okay, and Joe Terranova, finally. Fortinet. All right, I appreciate it. We are holding on to gains across the board. Now the record setter, been a big, big run for stocks. It does it for us. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.